Hey there, we're listening to this Melania the Traitor. Um, the completely absent Marty and derelict in his duties as committee can establish the culpability of Donald Trump in the criminal prosecutions that will now be ongoing. What happened during the 187 minutes of dereliction of, of duty for Donald Trump in the dining room while he watched the Capitol burn? It's actually seven hours of silence the from the of White our House. Democracy be attacked by anti-patriots and insurrectionists? What was he thinking? What was he doing? He was playing two major comments, according to Stephanie Grisham. The first was, he worried about the theatrics and the optics of the attack. He said that they were sort of, the the insurrectionists were shabbily dressed, as if he was putting on some sort of high school play or another special episode of Celebrity Apprentice. That was the first thought that went through his mind when he's watching 900 people overrun Capitol Police, the carnage on the Capitol steps, in the West Terrace, in the tunnel, uh, breaking doors and windows, screaming murderous cries for the uh, head of Nancy Pelosi to hang Mike Pence. I don't like the way they're dressed. And the second comment is even equally uh, despicable and depraved. His comment was, well, I may not like the way they dress, but they sure do fight well for me. They're really good fighters. As if he's watching, like, like the emperor, some sort prick. of Roman Colosseum, you know, uh, fight like this is gladiator. It just shows you again his little puppets. the criminal mind of Donald Trump. His follow- who, one of his followers his got narcissism, killed. She's, his family should be approach to things, which is the beginnings of dementia. This is how he addressed. This is this helps explain why he was a um, AWOL and completely absent and derelict in his duties as commander-in-chief during the time since the first time since 1812 the nation's capital was under attack, because this is what was going through his mind. The other interesting testimony from Grisham, because of her close relationship at the time with Melania Trump, is to establish what we all suspected, that Melania did hold power and sway over Donald Trump when she chose to use it, which was not often. She was able to convince him to do things, almost like, you know, the music that that uh, salves the savage beast. She was able to, who knows what, whisper in his ear, uh, like a Trump whisperer, and get him to do her bidding when she wanted to. But we know how often Melania Trump checked out of being a first lady, or even a wife, or even a counselor. It, it wasn't just the jacket going up Air Force One that read, I don't care, do you? Which is completely inappropriate protocol for a human being, let alone a, um, a first lady. A first lady, by the way, that many in the Republican Party Who made that continue to extol as the greatest first lady we ever had. Uh, well, the greatest first lady figured? we ever had, it, it is now established by Stephanie Grisham, while the Capitol riots and the attack on the Capitol was going on, do you know what she was doing, Melania Trump? She was photographing White House rugs and carpets for a potential coffee table book that she was producing after she left office. And she did this even knowing that the Capitol was under attack. So her, you know, the the two main people in the White House, two most powerful people in the world, Donald Trump, 187 minutes AWOL, commenting on the clothing of of the attackers 
and but commenting that they're really good fighters. His wife, at the very same time, who's ah. the first lady of the United States, can't be bothered to tear herself away from carpet photography <laughs> and rug photography to She'd really, talk to her husband rather and get be him looking to quell at the, the violence carpet. or make a statement herself as first lady to address the attack and try to pull back the 900 people who are attacking the Capitol. She couldn't be bothered with that. That is the greatest first lady in the history of the Republic, according to the Republicans. Yeah. Phone charging well, slowly. This is the fastest the phone charger points. on the market. Thanks There's for a million viewers and phone. subs. Grisham testified that the reason that she um, resigned is not because, even though she said she was embarrassed and sick to her stomach on the night of the election when Donald Trump declared already the beginnings of the big lie that it was a fraud, that he'd actually won the election, as opposed to saying, well, not all the votes are in, we're still counting votes, let's be patient, to start the peaceful transfer of power. Grisham said, yeah, she was disgusted by that, but not so disgusted that she stopped drawing her paycheck from the White House. She stayed on all the way through Jan 6. She says the final straw for her was on Jan 6 when she texted Melania, busy photog photographing rugs, and said to her, now would be the time. Uh, Madam First Lady, for you to take to a podium, for you to tweet, social media, something, communicate with the 900 rabid insurrectionists and get them to stand down. And in return, she got a zero response, yeah. a hard no, a hard pass from Melania Trump. And that, according to Grisham, was the moment where she finally got courage and valor and Grisham resigned. Let's not let Grisham off the hook. She never covered herself with any glory while she was press secretary. She's the first press, press secretary in the history of our nation that did not hold one press conference. I thought that was the job of the press secretary. <laughs> Instead, she gave interviews directly to only right-wing media outlets, ignoring the New York Times, the Washington Post, HuffPo, Politico, any of those, Midas Touch, all of them. She just gave interviews. She never gave press conferences, which which also shows that she's giving a little bit of a middle finger to the American public by how she titled her memoir. Of course, the memoir comes out uh, right around the time, well, it comes out in October. She knows she's going to be a, probably a big star when the Jan 6 committee is done. Yeah. And so, so surfing behind that, she releases a memoir, which is supposedly an insider view to the Trump White House. And the title of that, is, uh, I'll take your questions now. <laughs> the title of a memoir for a press secretary who never held a press conference for the first time in our nation's history is, I'll take your questions now. So I don't think it's ironic. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a tell. I think it's an FU to the American people. So, you know, um, even when somebody stands up, we call it here on Legal AF, whether they are courageous and having opposed the president, and you can count those people on one half of one hand, and those that because they were forced to testify before the Jan 6 committee, and ultimately to the Department of Justice, because Stephanie Grisham's not out of the woods yet, she's going to have to testify to the grand jury under Jack Smith's uh, authority, um, whether they, just because at the very last minute, even they, given their low morals and broken moral compass, 
had had enough, had seen enough, with Melania Trump photographing rugs at the very moment when she could have been stopping the Capitol from being attacked. The other interesting aspect of uh, Grisham's testimony is to establish what we always suspected, which was that Melania Trump held tremendous sway over Donald Trump when she chose to exercise it. Now, we, we know that she uh, checked out of that position a long, long time ago. She would wear you know, the coat running up uh, the, uh, the ramp of the uh, Air Force One reading, I don't care, do you? Totally inappropriate for a first lady to do that. She would also um, completely ignore Donald Trump at times at the moment when she could have given him good counsel as a first lady, as a wife, as a friend, as a something. Now, allegedly, according to Stephanie Grisham, uh, Melania Trump did not like any of the insider uh, advisors to Donald Trump. She didn't trust Giuliani or Powell, Jenna, Jenna Ellis. She didn't really trust Don Jr. She didn't trust Mark Meadows at all and thought he was a terrible gatekeeper for her husband and allowed a lot of crackpots and conspiracy theorists to have a direct line of sight to the president. But what did she do about it? Absolutely, apparently nothing, nothing at all to stop Donald Trump from um, from uh, following his worst instincts. Uh, so that's another aspect of the Grisham reporting coming out of her sworn testimony. So here we have testimony under oath by the press secretary in the White House that establishes that during the 187 minutes of dereliction of duty for Donald Trump, while he watched the Capitol burn, what was he doing? Commenting on the attacker's dress, but mm -hmm. also complimenting them on their fighting skills on his behalf. You can't make this stuff up, folks. This is Michael Popak reporting for Legal AF. Midas Touch is unapologetically pro-democracy. And look, we know you are too. So please, make sure you check out our best-selling shirt and our best-selling gear, the unapologetically pro-democracy gear. And hey, while you're at it, make sure you check out my favorite shirt and one of our most famous designs. It wasn't rich. Right. Yeah, that was pretty good. Well, Melania, if you go to jail and ask for help, guess what? We don't care. Huh. How Melania got her visa was interesting, but how Trump was complaining about immigrants at the same time he was bringing a group of Melania's family to the United States is even stranger. She's not a traitor. She's a Russian agent working her ass at. That whole family is despicable. Melania Trump is an airhead. She cares about two things, privilege and money, nothing more. We live in a country that needs to change their admirations from superficial to people with good virtues and empathy. Photographing rugs during an insurrection has a let-them-eat-cake feel to it. As an Australian, I sit and just shake my head. When do these maggots be held accountable? Melania was never a first lady, the personality of a brick, and cares nothing more than about fashion and an A-list lifestyle. What do you think about First Lady Michelle Obama now? That is a woman of integrity, solid role modeling, intelligence, and a sassy wife who supported her incredible husband and president. Dr. Joe Biden is doing an amazing job, too. These are women we will remember. I will never give Melania another thought in my memory. I sure do fight well for me. That established Trump's ownership to this insurrection. While Melania, we're also glad the rug is in the White House. So, so much more important to you than our country's democracy. 
His remark, they fight good for me, is a clear admission that he sent them to overthrow the election. This woman is not even American. Cancel all her papers already. Deport her immediately. Come on now. Come on now. Deport Melania. <laughs> and I'm sure Trump would have dismissed the female insurrectionists as not his type. It's hard to be called a traitor if she never was loyal in the first place. Not just statement. He acknowledged that he knew that they were fighting for him. Trump saying his followers are trash is one of the rare times he told the truth. She destroyed Jackie Kennedy's Rose Garden. That was her first lady project. Yeah, that's all she accomplished. Soft quotes. That was uh, what I won't will never forgive her for. Melania Trump was the most forgettable first lady in recent history. Michelle Obama and Laura Bush were hardest working in recent history. Melania was so watered down and so obsessed with her appearance and so insecure that I feel as if she thought those four years while her husband was president was the most boring years of her life. Then we got Melania, the only first lady to have modeled in a crotchless dress. Melania did the scariest Dracula decorations for Christmas in the White House. Blood trees all on an eerie row. Putin's last words to Melania before she left for her assignment in the United States. Took one for the team. This has been known for a long time now in keeping with what we know of her character. I always maintain that she was just as bad as a traitorous husband. This clenches it. Are we sure the former guy was the most powerful man in the world during his four years of playing president? The, the adults in other countries put him to shame. Remember the former guy being laughed at by world leaders? Yep. I'm just shocked he wasn't sitting there clapping while watching the attempted insurrection on TV. Huh. <sighs> It's rumored Nero played a fiddle while Rome burnt. Seems to me, Michael, that the statement about how the poorly dressed insurrectionists were good fighters for me would be evidence enough to find Trump guilty of organizing the attack. I love you guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Dereliction of duty for 887 out of about four years. Yeah. From the White House. Just a fucking, uh, just a fucking cunt. <gasps> How the Beatles Changed the World documentary. Um, 
Innocence of Oswald. Rethinking the First Americans. Um, when you're John Edgington documentaries. Oh, here's the rest of Dorothy Kilgallen and the JFK assassination. Explore Museum at Daly Plaza. It points you directly at Oswald. So I was going to give him all this material from Dorothy. Remember, that's adverse, isn't it? To the Oswald alone theory, the Ruby trial transcripts that are adverse to the to the uh, Oswald alone theory. First, they love the idea. Then they said the documents weren't originals, so they wouldn't take them. So I wrote a long email and said, "You're not going to get originals of these things. They're authentic and they're accurate, and that's what you say you're after on your website." So they came back and said, "Okay, yeah, I guess that's all right." Uh, and everything. In the meantime, I sent them that material so they could look at it and make sure that they understood how important it was. So then they came back to me and they said, look, uh, we're going to send you an agreement. So this is the agreement they sent me. Well, I'm just going to summarize it. It's an impossible agreement. No person like me could ever sign it. And this is the first indication really that I got that they didn't want this, maybe the second. I had, they demanded that I give them all the copyrights to my books, <laughs> all the copyrights to books that I hadn't even written about Kilgallen. <laughs> they had the opportunity to reproduce the books, make derivative works, mm -hmm. distribute the books by sale or other means, perform the work publicly, display the work publicly, and use sound recordings of the digital audio transmission. They also could give me no guarantee that they would exhibit my material, that they would keep it, they could destroy it if they wanted to. Wow. That was the agreement that they sent me, signed by their CEO wow. and by Stephen Fagan, the curator, and Lindsay Richardson, the assistant or whatever curator. Why would you send somebody who's giving you something for nothing, important historical documents about the JFK assassination, why would you send them an impossible agreement? Well... I jumped out of my shoes and I got upset and everything else like that and I told them I couldn't possibly do that. And so then, as I'm more suspicious about the fact that they really don't want these things and can I trust them with them, no. they say they're going to send me another agreement. A month or so goes by and then they tell me they're going back to their copyright person before they can send it. I had enough. Huh. I couldn't trust them. These are historical documents. I couldn't trust them. And I was told by several colleagues, Mark, if you give them to them, they'll throw them away. They'll destroy them. I want them to be part of the, of the uh, exhibits and all of that. I also asked them to speak at one of their programs about the Ruby trial transcripts, the most important JFK assassination documents in history. Do you think they let, would let me do that? Absolutely not. Now, you're trying to think in your own mind, why, 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 why would they do this? The museum is only alive because of the Oswald alone theory. Everything they have in there, it's, it's, they lose their relevancy. If you were to put in an exhibit the Jack Ruby trial transcripts and even the four excerpts that I told you about, that blunts everything about an Oswald alone theory. If you put Dorothy's research in there and put in her columns or some of the things that I've found through that, it's, it's just going to blow away those things. That's why they can't take those things. They can't 
take the donation that I had. For instance, today when I was down there, Greg and his wife were there with my wife and I, and we went around and everything. There was this, there are two comments about Ruby. A Chicago native uh, known for his temper and erratic behavior, uh, Ruby had childhood ties to organized crime, although mob-related conspiracy um, theories, evidence uh, suggests that he acted alone. His motives uh, remain in doubt. They know that's not a true statement because they know about the Jack Ruby trial transcripts. In fact, Greg at one point they offered to give him, uh, give them the transcripts. They said they had some, but they weren't in good condition. So he gave them to him. And what did they do? They didn't put them in an exhibit or anything else. They just put them in their files. They knew. They knew about what was in the Ruby trial transcripts, and they weren't about to do anything with it. And then Mr. Fagan, who's now the curator, Assistant Curator Fagan about why, uh, more questions than answers about why Ruby shot Oswald. Very difficult to know because we really don't know what was going through Jack Ruby's mind when he pulled the trigger. Ruby said, it, said he did it because of his love for President Kennedy in part also to spare Mrs. Kennedy from coming back to Dallas to testify at a trial. But then who, those who knew Ruby well, he doesn't tell who these people are, his friends and co-workers, they suggest something different. They say that Ruby simply wanted to be a hero and thought he might receive a medal for shooting the assassination of the president. They envisioned him standing at the door of his nightclub, the Carousel Club on Commerce, as the man who shot the man who shot the president. You look at the Jack Ruby trial transcripts. You look at Dorothy Kilgallen's columns. You look at all of that. This is boulder dashed. And... I just wanted to scream today as I watched young children and older children walk into that museum with their instructors and see that junk. One side of the story and walk out of there some way or another thinking that one person killed the, the President of the United States. To that extent, I finally filed a complaint with the Attorney General of this state. And I said that under the Deceptive Practices Act, if the, look, if the museum wants to include certain things in its collection, it can do that. But it can't go out and say, as it does, we are the authority on the assassinations. We have everything you'll want to see. They send out material with advertising saying that. Come to us. We want to show you everything, the truth about the assassinations. The truth isn't there. And now we know for sure that they're deceiving because they won't let the trial transcripts see the light of day or Dorothy, Dorothy's research. I'm still waiting to hear from the Attorney General whether they'll look into this or not. And you know, there's repercussions from this. A lot of repercussions. And wh what are they? Well, they are the fact that researchers, children, whoever it may be through the years, haven't known the truth. It's interesting to note that this, these books that have been written about the JFK assassination, okay? JFK and the, and the unspeakable, James Douglas. The Kennedy Half Century, Larry J. Sabato. Moment of Madness by Elmer Gertz, written a long time ago. Even Dallas 1963 that talks about Daily Plaza and other things. The Two Worst Offenders. Case Closed by Gerald Posner. Junk. Reclaiming History. This is the worst one by Vincent Bugliosi. The Manson Prosecutor. A thousand pages. I knew Vince. 
When I found out about Dorothy's research and the fact that she'd interviewed Jack Ruby and she was there and she did all this and the columns I sent him, everything, he said, yeah, Mark, I'll include that in the book. You think it's in here? Absolutely not. It's not in any of those books about the trial transcripts or Dorothy Kilgallen's research. And here's the worst one. This damn Warren report. Trash. Those books, I, I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying it. They ought to be burned. Because they continue to perpetuate these untruths. And we can't have that. This is history. People say, well, who gives a damn about Dorothy Kilgallen dying 50 years ago? Well, I do, and you should too. We want to know the truth. She gave up her life for her country trying to find the truth. People have called her a patriot. Two gentlemen go to her grave every week in New York and put flowers there. She is revered by everybody that knows about her. And she can't get a date at the JFK Museum. There are other examples I could give you of the behavior by the museum, but I, I'm going to leave you with this and then we'll get on to Dorothy and summing up some things there. I got this flyer not too long ago, okay? And this is another deceptive practice. You could show the flyer. This came through email, museum donor, uh, email, 6-4 Museum at Daly Plaza, it's giving day on September 19th. And I looked down through here and I wanted to throw up. <laughs> because here's the last sentence. Help us give all North Texas the chance to visit this Dallas historic landmark that changed the world. Arrogance. The landmark didn't change the world. What changed the world? The killing of JFK, the senseless death of President John F. Kennedy. And they send this out to people. Don't they have any shame? And I've let Fagan and everybody at the museum know. I sent them a copy of my letter that I sent to the Attorney General. And what have they done? Boy, they're really scared. I'll tell you, they're scared to death to the effect that, if you'll go on to the museum reaction to the fact that they know the Attorney General is uh, on the job. Now, what could they do? I've offered to meet with them. I've offered to talk to them about the donation again. I've offered to speak at their programs. Somebody speak about the Ruby trial transcripts. I don't give a damn who it is if it's not me. And what do they decide? Next week's the anniversary of the JFK assassination. What are the main two programs they have? The last day of Lee Harvey Oswald, a conversation with Ruth Payne, toward, and the other one toward a psychological understanding of Lee Oswald. Huh. Just crazy. Just crazy stuff. And as I said, the museum damages the history. How many young people have written essays about this for, for, for when they get back to school? How many teachers bringing those kids in today? And I, I just wanted to say, wait a minute, there's more to this. Please, please, there's more to this. So what do we do now? Well, I'm hoping that perhaps with this, uh, this presentation, I can warn people out there. Be very careful taking people to the museum unless they clean up their act or close their doors one way or another, which might be the best thing to do. Because they're not telling the whole story. And people are being duped by it every day and paying their money. You know, 
I feel like I've tried to have a contribution to history here myself. I've been very fortunate through Greg and through others to find information. I don't know why I got involved in this in the beginning. I, I, I don't. Maybe Dorothy chose me or whatever, but I'm a man of the truth like she was. I've tried to be Dorothy's voice. I've tried to tell people, educate them about what happened here. All right? And I'm going to keep fighting when government agencies and other people and authors and the museum and others try to close her mouth. They did it in 1965, and it's not going to happen again. The real tragedy here is that this woman died at 52 years old. 52 years old, she died. And that her mouth was shut. She couldn't write anymore. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't live a life that we would hope a woman like that could. I want to close by showing you, maybe you'll remember, that at the time there was a famous program or a popular program called Edward R. Murrow Person to Person. And again, I would say to you, go into the DorothyKilgallenStory.org. You can remember that. You'll see all the videos. You'll see all the photographs of her. You'll see um, uh, her columns. You can read all that yourself and make up your mind. The Ruby Trial Transcripts, I posted those on my website, MarkShawBooks.com. You can go read those. Spread the word. Spread the word to young people especially about this. But here is the woman that they killed. Dorothy, if you had to be confined to one job of the many that you do, which would it be? Well, Ed, I love television. I have so much fun on What's My Line, playing the game, and I love our morning radio program, too. But I think that I would have to settle for my first love and my true love, the newspaper business. It uh, still has me and always will, I think, I hope. Well, uh, God bless you, Dorothy. Thank you very much. Questions, comments, protests. This is a library. You can say what you want. Any questions? Yes, sir. Do you believe that um, Carrie Comar is the son of Johnny Ray? And also, did you ever um, were you ever able to speak with Carrie Comar? Well, I think the uh, Mark Sinclair uh, says in a video that Dorothy told him that Carrie was Johnny Ray's son. The photographs of Carrie at a young age show that golden hair. I don't think there's any question about that. People ask me all the time about the three grown children. Well, uh, I could never get them to cooperate too much with what I was doing. They didn't stand up for Dorothy when she died. Uh, recently, I've tried to do a couple things that I thought might help with that. Uh, I actually sent Carrie Comer a day, be day before last, two days ago, books, my books about Dorothy that the... Uh, Museum didn't want. Uh, Dorothy's books, she wrote a book called Murder One and a book when she uh, traveled around the world in a race. I sent him uh, the uh, Good Housekeeping magazine. I sent him all kinds of things because I thought he ought to have them. And so I did that. People say, why didn't they cooperate? They don't have very good memories of what happened in 1965 and beyond. Dorothy was worried about Carrie because she didn't think Richard would take care of him. Well, she was right. When Dorothy died, Carrie went to live with Jill and then came back to live with Richard and he threw him out of the house. I think it's three or four years later, Richard committed suicide. So they don't have great memories of what happened back then. 
And recently I had to make a choice to go forward with something I felt could bring the truth to Dorothy. But to do it, I would have had to have probably um, gotten the children into a court of law. And if I had done that, I thought it would be too embarrassing for them. thought it would have been especially tough for Carrie. Dorothy just adored Carrie. You read this article, you'll see. And she changed her will so that he would get uh, an additional amount of money in the will. That will was never found, by the way. We think Richard threw it away. So uh, I'm still hopeful at some particular point they might help with an investigation. I don't know if they think their father killed their mother. I think they believe that Ron Pataki obviously was involved in Dorothy's death. But they also know about her obsession with the JFK assassination. And you see back then what they all thought. The two interviews you saw with the uh, hairdressers, this is kind of, kind of amazing. Those are in two, uh, 1999 and 2000. They waited that long to say anything about Dorothy's death. They never cooperated with anybody. And you know why? Because they said they're still scared. And I have had people, including Dorothy's second cousins in Arizona, who would only talk to a friend and not talk to me because they were scared. They said, we don't want to lose one more family member. Now, this is 40 or 50 years later, but they're still worried out there because all of them knew that what happened to Dorothy. She was killed, and who was she killed by? The same people who killed JFK, the powerful people, Hoover, Marcello, whoever else it may have been. So I hope that answers your question. I hope that at some particular point, you know, I, I've never heard from them, so I don't know if they're appreciative of what I've done or not. I hope they are because... Uh, Thousands of people around the world have heard about Dorothy, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, she's gotten her reputation back. Yes, sir. Um, you talk about Marcello, and he's kind of not very far down the, the, the beaten path. Um, I don't know if you know who Jeannie Carmen was. Do you know I do who not. she was? I do not. I'm afraid not. Well, Jeannie was one of uh, Marilyn's best friends. All right. And her children published a book posthumously that said that Johnny Rosselli uh -huh. uh, indicated that uh, Marilyn was killed by Marcello's people and that it wasn't the first time that he'd done that sort of thing. And no, no, I don't think, it, if you don't mind, I don't think it would be... Uh, the first time. He was a ruthless guy. His, uh, his billion-dollar empire in New Orleans stretched to Dallas. In fact, I don't know if any of you, a good friend of mine out here, a, a fraternity brother, Steve Dillon, uh, went ahead and called my attention to an article, no, no, a, 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 um, a story on Channel 5, I believe it was, about Campisi, the Campisi, uh, David Campisi, the restaurants that you have here. And the fact that he has a relationship uh, through, I believe it says, what, grandfather or something, uh, Joe Campisi. Well, Joe Campisi and Joe Savillo were Carlos Marcello's underlings in Dallas. Joe Campisi actually had dinner, or uh, Jack Ruby actually had dinner, and there's proof of that, at Joe Campisi's restaurant the night before he shot Oswald. And more than that, you know, some of these things, it's hard to believe they didn't put together way back then. Guess who the first visitor was to Jack Ruby in jail? It was Joe Campisi. Mafioso, and they didn't link that in at all. They just missed all those things because they were they didn't care. They had uh, no, Oswald, they to miss and that's him. what happened. So that was pretty interesting that way. One more question. Uh -huh. 
about um, there was a handwritten note on the autopsy report about CO2. What the heck was CO2 doing in her bloodstream? You know, it's interesting. There are people, and I, I want to answer this, the people around the world who study the JFK assassination, every aspect of it, every scintilla of material that they can find, I have great respect for them. Uh, I'm not one that can do that. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about where the bullet was or where the trees were or anything else like that. I'm a Dorothy Kilgallen uh, follower. Oh, Dorothy's autopsy. What, you said what was there? Uh, I don't recall, but I, it may have been in there, but we've never been able to figure that out, obviously, if it was. No. Sorry, excuse me for saying that. But the, the point is that people, I respect anybody point of view. Let me just give a shout out to this library. They permit all kinds of points of view about everything. Tom Keener and Jeff Timms. What if they said to them, what if they tried to put on programs that only favor one side or the other of things? Okay? They don't do that. That's what libraries are all about. Libraries. That's what we should be about. We should hear all sides of the story and why that damn museum won't do that is a tragedy. Any other questions? I'm cussing too much, aren't That's I? That's okay. Money, money. Six billion, yes, a six million dollar operation down there, by the way, in case you don't know. That's what they take in every year. We will cover all questions, but I want to go front to back so I don't have to do a lot of walking. Thank you. Just yes, sir. One, one quick one. In your research, have you seen real honest complicity from LBJ, Clint Murchison, and that group? in all of this with the assassination? Well, I said I look a motive. If you want to look a motive, you can't probably go any further than LBJ. He probably benefited than everybody else. The problem with LBJ, and again, uh, is, is the layers of, you know, he was in Bob Murchison, all these other people. Nobody's been able to kind of get through all those layers. That's a problem with Marilyn Monroe's death, too, is you can't get it through all the layers to who it was. Dorothy's is much easier that way. So the answer is no, uh, but boy, if you look at motive, uh, some people were talking about LBJ, LBJ today, and you know the fact that obviously he could have been involved there, but I don't think they've ever been able to, uh, you know, connect him as much as you would like to see happen. Questions, comments? Okay. I'm curious if you have any fear for your life bringing this out. Well, uh, that goes with the territory in what I do. You know, I've written books about Mike Tyson's trial that nobody liked. Uh, I've written books about uh, Jonathan Pollard, the spy that nobody liked. Uh, my email's been hacked. My uh, Facebook page has been hacked. I've gotten some nasty emails from people, but I will tell you more than anything, I think I haven't worried about it too much uh, because, again, it goes with the territory, but... Um, for the most part, it's been overwhelming response from people around the world who have just fallen in love with Dorothy. And I think because that's happened, they really haven't wanted to go after me too much that way. Uh, the criticism that I've gotten, some people weren't happy that I told the story about Carrie being an illegitimate child, but I felt like that was part of the Dorothy story because, you know, just one quick, I don't want to keep you too long, but I'll tell you, she got really scared one time before she died. She woke up one morning in the New York newspaper. We couldn't find it, and we don't know which one it was, but we knew, do know it happened. There was a picture of Car Carrie, and I have a feeling this was a warning to Dorothy. 
he was walking across, uh, running across Central Park, and the picture was in the New York paper, and it scared her to death because she thought somebody was um, following Dorothy, or following Carrie. They were after her son. To the extent that, and we confirmed this because in a What's My Line program right after that, it was right near uh, Halloween, uh, they laughed about it on the show because she put Carrie in a limousine to trick-or-treat. And she was scared to death of, of what happened there. So, you know, you never know what's going to offend people, but if you're, if you're looking for the truth, you know, with this situation, you, you people don't have to do anything about it, but if you want to call the Attorney General's office or you want to send a letter there and say, hey, look into this, you can. I think in this day and age, we, we too often let things go by that bother us, especially when they're about the truth. Uh, you know, we've lost some of that, I think, for some reason. Yes, sir. Hi, thanks. Uh, very interesting talk. And I remember six, uh, that week in 63 very well. But uh, there's something uh, that, that Jack Greeley supposedly said that uh, I think I got it from there. 30 years ago, there was a JFK assassination center at the West End when it was a popular place to go in Dallas. Was well, that right? Yeah, they had a lot of information there. But there was a, there's a comment that Jack Ruby made that, uh, take me to Washington, I'll talk, but if I stay in Dallas, I'm a dead man. I was wondering if you ever heard that. Well, yeah, I think it was part of that one where he said, uh, you know, I can't ever tell what happened, the truth, and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, again, remember, uh, you know, I'm not putting down people who, who go for this Oswald thing, but Ruby was the key. He was the key. And Dorothy knew that. And that's why she focused so much on him and, uh, you know, uh, exposed his uh, Warren Commission testimony and interviewed him. And nobody else did that. She was, she really was felt like that he was the key in everything. So he may have made those statements and everything else like that. But again, you have to remember, nobody was listening. Nobody was listening. Those columns were out there. She wrote eight or ten columns, basically saying the Oswald alone theory is baloney. And Ruby stood up outside there by a railing, if I remember, in a courtroom and said those things. But nobody paid attention. Why? Because Hoover was, was you know, basically just brainwashing everybody. And, and, and uh, you, I'm sure you know why. And, and some people have said to me, well, the, the, the JFK Museum down here is doing this to protect Dallas. Because if there's a plot to kill the president and people in Dallas knew about it, they should have stopped it. But if it's a lone nut, you see, then nobody in Dallas could do anything. And that's the same reason that Hoover did what he did, what he said, because he couldn't be held accountable if it's a lone nut. All right. And so I think all of that uh, has to do with the fact that for whatever reason, nobody was listening way back then. I mean, Joe Campisi was the first visitor Oh, I'll tell you another one. I don't know if you remember who Candy, uh, Candy Barr was, the stripper, all right? Well, Candy Barr got in trouble uh, for marijuana possession. Do you remember this? All right. Well, when I interviewed Bill Alexander, I didn't realize Bill Alexander prosecuted Candy Barr for that marijuana possession in front of what judge? Joe Brown, the same judge, okay? And who did... Candy Bar, who did uh, Jack Ruby call after he, I think after he got arrested or whenever it was, he talked to Candy Bar. I mean, there's, there's a whole part of that that nobody ever even looked into. And who was Candy Bar's fiancé at some point? Does anybody have an idea who that might be? 
Mickey Cohen, Belli's main client. And Belli handled the appeal for Candy Bar. I mean, there's a million ways you can go with some of this. But nobody figured that out. There's not one newspaper story about the fact that Mickey Cohen, Belli's client, one of, the, one of the most dangerous mobsters in the country, that he's connected to Belli. If you had that, then you connect Belli to, you know, and Belli statements and everything just didn't happen. Nobody was listening. Yeah, just one other thing. Uh, a friend of mine, it was like 30 years ago, the way, but uh, mm -hmm. um, he knew Marina Oswell real well, and it was a passion of his, the whole thing. And he's actually he was actually quite famous at the time in his own right. His year he passed away, he was on three talk shows, but he uh, he you know he said from Marina Oswell he maintained that Lee Harvey Oswald um, was, it, it, he wasn't the primary guy. I forget exactly how he said it. There's people that know him better than I, but we used to like talking about that it was you know it was not Lee Harvey Oswald. So I there's always a, believe that. Yeah, there's a really good book. Uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it basically this is an eyewitness who was a uh, kind of a drug runner and uh, other things in New Orleans. And it's his first-hand account of how many times he saw Oswald with Marcello at his office around there and all of that. I think it's pretty uh, pretty believable in terms of that connection there. But you see, Dorothy didn't go with that. She, she really looked at motive. Joe Kennedy double-crosses the mafia. They helped him win Illinois and in, in West Virginia. They win the election. We win the election, we'll leave you alone. I have an eyewitness that I found, a very revered newspaperman, who was right there when Joe Kennedy ordered JFK to appoint Bobby Attorney General. What does Bobby do? He goes after those people, especially Marcello, because uh, he hated Marcello and all of that. And what is Marcello, what is Marcello doing as November of 1963 comes around? He is in, 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 in has a trial in... Uh, in uh, New Orleans for racketeering. Bobby Kennedy helped orchestrate that, and he's about to be deported. Well, his back's against the wall. He's got to do something. He hates Bobby Kennedy, but he, if he kills Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy will come after him with everything the government has. But you kill Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy is powerless, and I will tell you right now, you can look it up. They never bothered those guys again. Now, I think that makes common sense in terms of what happened here, and then you bring Belli into it and all of that, but there's an awful lot of people who would disagree with me. Yes, sir? Did you come across any evidence that Dorothy started her book? Uh, yes, good good point. I should have brought that up. Uh, she showed, uh, she was working on it, and she had showed uh, chapters to, uh, I, I don't know if you know, but Bennett Cerf, who was on, you know, with her on What's My Line, he was the publisher, founder of Random House. The night before Dorothy died, at the last show, he showed, she showed him chapters of that book. We don't know what really happened to that. But three years later, the book Murder One, which is a collectible item right now, Murder One was published under Dorothy's name, and it was all about her trials and everything else. And in the Excuse me, in the preface, uh, in the foreword to that book, there's material in there that looks like it could have come from a book that she was writing about the assassination. Yeah. Is it possible that she told other people her suspicions or her findings? Well, people have asked me, uh, did she have a copy of her, uh, 
her file. She should have had. Well, back then you didn't couldn't go down to Kinko's or whatever, so she couldn't do that. Basically, all you had was a carbon. But she was very closed-mouthed about it. The only people she talked to about it were the two hairdressers and Ron Pataki. And we believe, anyway, that she didn't really speak to anybody else about it except to tell them what she was doing. She didn't give them a specific. She just told them they were going to crack the case wide open and all of that, which was obviously an invitation to eliminate her, and then that's what they did. Yes, sir. I'm not really sure exactly how to put this, but... It won't matter, please. Um, this kind of... Whatever. Assuming Oswald was guilty and Ruby were guilty and all that stuff, why should, uh, you know, Dorothy be murdered? I mean, if she... If all of the things... If everything could exonerate them, is that the only reason, you know? Well, it's, it's almost the same situation you're in with the uh, Sixth Floor Museum. You can just about let anything into the to the uh, to the equation. You can let Dorothy's uh, material in. You can let my material in. Research, whatever it may be, all of that can be then considered along with other other evidence that happens, and you can discount that and all and everything. Right? You can do that, but you can't do it with the Ruby trial transcripts. And that's where Dorothy watched this. Remember, she's in the courtroom. She's listening. Well, here's another thing. I always wondered. Wait a minute. The reason that they uh, uh, found Jack Ruby guilty is because they didn't buy the insanity defense, or uh, because they didn't, you know, the insanity defense, right? Well, they didn't, but they had heard also the evidence of Ruby's actions before he shot Oswald, which were in the Ruby trial transcripts. And so the jurors had to have said to themselves, look, he couldn't have been crazy if he's watching the assassination when it took place, he, if he said he'd be there when it happened, if he snuck into the basement ma making like a reporter, I think we now know why the jury decided what they decided. So you can get around anything. You, people can say, I'm crazy, or Dorothy is, or whatever. That's sworn testimony, and it's believable. And if you listen, if you, if you listen to it, I think you'll feel the same way. So Dorothy had that information. That's what made her lethal. That's, in my opinion, what made her lethal. She was going to publish some of the transcript uh, material that she'd heard, and it would have blasted away. Uh, I like to say in the book that I believe if she had done that, uh, J. Edgar Hoover would probably have been indicted. Marcella would have been arrested. They would have put all that together and everything, but nobody was listening. Yes, sir. Uh, this is actually all very enlightening. I'm actually just here for extra credit for class. But uh, <laughs> coming coming from uh, basically someone who's really not even interested in this entire subject. Uh, <laughs> is, okay, good. And I'm sorry, that sounds very. Oh, no, it's all right. Um, <laughs> it's actually very enlightening. Um, you've definitely brought light to this whole situation, like. Clearly, there's something more going on um, with the whole assassination. Like, there's, like, I truly believe there's no way that it's just Oswald. Mm -hmm. um, but then that only raises more questions for me. Um, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are as to. Um, so, since we've kind of more yeah, or less yeah. cracked open that it's not a one man job, um, do you believe that Oswald is, in fact, the shooter? 
as well. I think he had a part in this. I think he had a part in this, certainly. Remember, Jess Curry sent the sent everybody to the overpass. You know, there are all these other things that happened during that, a lot of confusion and all of that kind of thing. Um, I just think it's, it's unfortunate that they just uh, focused in on Oswald, who said he was a patsy, but nobody was listening, um, and then stopped. They just basically stopped. You know, I read something today. Oh, I think it was at the museum, as a matter of fact. Uh, it said that, uh, and I, I'm not sure I knew this, or maybe uh, you will, um, the assassination of a president at the time was not a federal crime. It was a local crime. So Jess Curry and his, his, or, you know, his police department should have taken over this whole thing. Well, right away, what happened? Hoover marched in, took over had all the documents sent to Washington, all these other kind. That's unfortunate, because I think, and Jess Curry has said, if he could have had some time with Oswald and his detectives and everything, he probably could have found out what happened here. But uh, with Oswald, uh, those who were involved in his participation, they couldn't let him live. I mean, they couldn't do that. You got loose lips there, and you got to get rid of him, and you got the perfect guy to do it. There's Jack Ruby, a wannabe um, a big star in the in the mafia. That's what he wants, and and you know there's lots of reasons why they would have been able to recruit him. But he was the perfect guy to do that. One of the reasons is just common sense. All the friendships with the police. I, I saw today where it said that Jim Lavelle, you know the um, uh, detective that's holding on to Oswald, in the in the uh, in the audio it says, and Jim and Jim Lavelle says. Yeah, I saw Jack Ruby standing there with a uh, pistol in his hand. Well, obviously, who that, who it was, right? And then, and yet, if you look at the Warren Commission, what did they say? Oh, there's no evidence of Jack Ruby having uh, friendships in the Dallas Police Department. Come on. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, you were talking about uh, relationship there with. Uh Forgot what's going to ask. That's uh, it's okay. It's what, what happens when you get older. Think about it a minute. <laughs> All right. Oh, All right. The uh, instance where Oswald uh, Wagner Carr, the State Attorney General of Texas, this is what I was going to mention. Uh, he had actually had jurisdiction over the case because it was a state crime, and his his uh, state agency was investigating this until it was shut down by LBJ. And in his investigation, and I found this out. Because when he retired, he was a graduate of Texas Tech, and he donated all his personal property and papers to the Southwestern Collection at Texas Tech University when they're all still there. And uh, I went through now, who there. Is, who is this again that did this? Wagner Carr. He was the state attorney general of Texas oh, in 1963. Time. And he, his investigation turned up the fact, and this is in his documents that's in, in the collection at Texas Tech, that Oswald was a paid FBI informant. It was, he, was, he was an informant number 179, and he was being paid $200 a month by the federal government. Now, ironically, when Oswald was arrested at the Texas Theater and brought back, the uh, Dallas County Sheriff, when they were going through the contents of his wallet, they found a receipt for a government voucher for $200. Yeah. What a coincidence. No, no, there's no coincidence in life. That's fascinating, and that should have been followed through some way or another. I, I've never heard that before. I had no idea. You know, yeah, when I said Oswald was a dead end, I shouldn't say that. He's a confused man. You, you can't ever figure anything out there. You can't come up with any conclusions because it's just all over the place. It's like something like that. That may be the truth. Who knows? 
Dorothy didn't want to get involved in that. She saw Ruby as the key, and I do too. Yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Shaw, uh, let me thank you for coming and also thank Allen Library to put this program together. I'm just, just fascinating, and uh, it's an honor to be here, and thank you for giving us this opportunity. Well, it's my honor. Uh, I, I uh, appreciate it very much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, again, I will say, you know, I wouldn't be here if uh, if Tom and and uh, and Jeff, uh, you know, didn't ask me to come. Uh, and they they knew what I was going to talk about. They didn't have to. Uh, they would, you know, feel like it's going to be controversial or whatever. But that's what this is all about. You want to present all sides of the equation, and I I really appreciate that. It's a wonderful library. Thank you. Uh, this young man is not my student, and uh, but I, I'm very glad that he's here for extra credit. Yes. Uh, as a statistician and also as a mathematician, I have studied this. Somehow I think my life has been, uh, it's a mystery that how I end up with JFK. I, it just uh, amazes me. Coming from 10,000 miles away, oh. and, uh, in 78 I was like a nanosecond away from uh, Lee Harvey Oswald Marina. I was home. Oh. And then for 12 years, I worked in downtown when I was teaching and passing oh. by JFK um, assassination that, I guess, so-called X, which I think is morbid to let cars drive by it. But and that's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and I do agree with you on the sixth floor museum. I never took my students there because I know it's just absurd. It, it, uh, it doesn't have to be that way either. It doesn't have sure. to be that way if they'll be flexible about things and... But it's difficult for them to do. How are you going to put the Ruby trial transcripts in there and then keep... You know, they could call it the Sixth Floor Museum in tribute to Lee Harvey Oswald if right. they wanted to. Right. That's up to them. But you can't go out and promote it as the landmark that changed the world. Or we're educating people. Or we're the place where you should come. That's deception to people who are paying their money. And the problem is, of course, they don't know what they're missing. Right. Because they don't promote any of that. They don't promote anything that's not pro-Oswald alone. So all of those people that went there today, they did have 400,000 people come through there every year. When they come there, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know that the Ruby trial transcripts exist. They don't know that Dorothy Kilgallen's material exists. So they, they can only, you know, watch and listen to what is provided for them. I don't, I don't know how the, the, the people at the museum look themselves in the mirror now this way, especially when they know about all this material and won't permit it to be in that museum. Uh, one, yes, one, oh, sorry, one more thing I need to say because uh, this young man here, he needs to understand in 50s and 60s, even up to this point, it's, the Russians do it very well. I think the term, if I translate it correctly, it's called a sparrow. It's named after that bird. Uh, Usually they send a young, handsome man or a, uh, or a lady uh, in order to, I guess, extract information from you. Uh, recently they just did it in, in Iran as well uh, to, I guess, undermine someone that they think is dangerous. So I think George Pataki, it, it doesn't surprise me, or Ron Pataki, sorry, it doesn't surprise me that why somebody must have set him up with Dorothy, uh, for that reason, to extract information yep. in a romantic way. I you know, the Russians are perfect at it, actually. I, I, mean, they've done you, it before. Yeah, I should also tell you, Ron Pataki's still alive. He's 84, lives in Columbus, Ohio. 
I continue to pile up information about him and what he did, and I'm going to I'm going to end up getting him indicted at some particular point because there's no question he had something to do with Dorothy's death. All you have to do is look at those poems for him to have had you know some part in in whatever happened. And I'm hoping that if we can get him arrested at some particular point or charged with a crime, that he will let us know what happened back then. By the way, before we we're going to take three more questions, but. Uh, 